You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them. Pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which we were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. This is a compromised state of the church. Let's not offend anyone. Let's not stand up for what we believe in. Let's not take a stand for righteousness. You know, do you know what a compromise is? A compromise is, is when we concede to each other. I concede my beliefs to you. That's a compromise. Have you ever agreed with someone to avoid an argument? That's a compromise, and it can be a good thing to avoid exaggerating a negative situation. But as Pastor Dave points out, when you start to alter your beliefs and values to not offend others, you are failing to take a stand in righteousness. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 21 with today's edition of A Sure Hope. first sign we see is legalism within the body of believers. There's several things worth mentioning here before we continue. Number one is most commentators believe that these elders that are being talked about, there were 70 of them, and they were there, and they were in like the Sanhedrin. Remember the legalistic Sanhedrin? They're, they're alike in this group of elders to the Sanhedrin, which was a very legalistic group. That's one thing. And secondly, we saw in Acts 15 during the Jerusalem Council that there is a radical legalistic wing of the church. We saw that. The Judaizers, remember? We saw that. And they're still there too. So we want to set that up. But the number must have been coming up because look what it says in verse 20b. And they say to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. So, Brother Paul, the good news is there's myriads of Jews who believe. Myriads basically means tens of thousands. That's the good news. Woohoo! Tens of thousands of people believe. That's great, Paul. But the bad news is they're all zealous for the law. Excuse me? Well, wait a minute. Hold on. They're, they're zealous for the law? Now, by this time in Jerusalem, there were thousands upon thousands of Christians, but there were mainly Jews. And they were a really weird mixture of Christianity and Judaism. They were zealous for the law. They were continuing in the rites of Judaism, and they were continuing the law of Moses. They believed in Jesus was their Savior, but they had accommodated themselves to the Jewish community. One commentator said this, the statement, all of them are zealous for the law, is in effect saying, we are saved by grace, but we are kept saved by the working of the law. Ooh, Paul, trashing his head. Did he look back at them? Hey, guys, didn't you read my letter to the Galatians? Or maybe you didn't. Did you read my letter to the Roman church? What are you doing here? Zealous for the law? But obviously they had not. But even if they had, you know, old habits are hard to break. You know, many today hold on a legalistic view of Christianity. They hold on to that legalistic view. It's always Christ plus something else. They put you under a yoke and bondage that nobody can, can do. 
Some of them even call themselves fruit inspectors, and they go around looking for how bad you are and how poorly you did that day so they can point it out. But if those of you here Wednesday night, you know that they didn't clear the plank out of their own eye when they looked at the speck in your eye. These legalists, they want to put you under the law and hold you there. Many believe that it was legalism that started to weaken the Christian church, and I believe that. I believe that, and legalism is still weakening the Christian church today. It's a bad, strange thing. Legalism is just strict conformity to the doctrine of the law. Now, the law is good, we learned that, if it's used properly and used correctly. But it's the mindset of Jesus plus something else. I mean, it's great to have Jesus and all, but you know what? You really need the law. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. See, Paul had discovered God's grace. Paul had discovered God's beautiful grace. And that's one thing the church in Jerusalem obviously didn't discover. They were still trying to please God by the adherence to the law rather than to attaining a righteousness which is by faith in Jesus Christ, which Paul wrote to the Roman church. Paul said, what about it, guys? It's just this. The Jews have a zeal for God, but not according to the knowledge because they're ignorant of the righteousness that God has provided. And being ignorant of that righteousness, they're going about trying to establish their own righteousness, trying to make themselves righteous before God as if you want to get right with God, if you want to have a great relationship with God, you've got to read your word two hours a day, you've got to read six or seven chapters, and you've got to pray for another hour. If you do that, you're going to have a great day. I don't know about you, but I have done half of that and hadn't had a very good day. But see, you can place that now as a law, and I can put you under that, and then you think you're going to have to do something to make God love you better than he does now. I have some sad news, gang. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. He will never love you more than he loves you right now because he gave his son to die for you while you were sinners. Legalism tramples on the grace of God. It denies freedom to those who are under its yoke. I think that's what's happening in the church of Jerusalem and in these scriptures. These legalists must have been working behind the scenes because Bear, Paul barely finishes the report. He barely gets it out. And he's slammed with these accusations in verse 21. And we see the next sign of a weakened church. But they had been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles for, to forsake Moses, saying they ought to not circumcise their children nor walk according to the customs. So here we see the second sign of a weakened church. Gossip and rumors. Gossip and rumors will not only weaken a church, it will destroy a church. Gossip and rumors. A gossip is someone who runs from house to house with tattletales and tells you. It's a tattler. A rumor is a current story passing from one person to another without any authority or truth behind it. You know, it's been said that although rumors don't have any legs to stand on, they move pretty fast. You ever notice that? Rumors seem to get around real fast. There's many scriptures in the Bible that come against carrying tales, specifically James 1.26. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And your religion is useless. How about Proverbs 11.13? A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of faithful spirit conceals the matter. Proverbs 20.19. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with anyone who flatters their lips. Rumors and gossip, when they're running rampant in a fellowship, will quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. 
They will quench and grieve the Holy Spirit. We must avoid it at all costs. We must avoid it. Completely stay away from it. When somebody comes up and starts a rumor or a gossip with you, you should say, talk to the hand. You should ignore it and direct them to the Word of God and direct them back to the love of Christ. It destroys churches. It destroys reputation. It destroys people's lives. Rumors and gossip. I love to use this analogy. Some of you out there look like you might have coached Little League at a time or two. You might have been a Little League coach. You might even, some of you out there now I see are, are, are coaches in a high school sport. I was a coach in a high school sport for a long time. I coached three varsity sports. But the Little League coach, the baseball coach, I love baseball. Little League coach in baseball, doing the best he can. The kid goes home and he sits down for dinner and dad says, that stupid coach doesn't know what the heck he's doing. I can't believe he didn't play. He doesn't know anything about him. He tells all these horrible tales and lies. What happens to the little boy's mind or little girl's mind when she goes out to see the coach? She's poisoned towards what he wants to do. Her mind is now poisoned. She can't receive what the coach wants to do because my dad knows best. I tell the story real quick. I used to coach a girl's basketball team, and I had a little point guard. She was pretty good. We always sat on one side of the court. And our chairs were there. We never let parents sit behind us. There was a reason for that. We never let parents sit behind us. Parents used to always sit on the other side of the court. And invariably, this girl would get the ball, my point guard, and she would start dribbling down the court, and she'd be looking at her dad on the other side of the court. And I'd be going, yo, yo, hey, coach over here, look at me. This is what I'm talking about. This kind of stuff poisons your mind. And if somebody tells me a rumor about you or you or you or you, I have to be careful that my mind is not poisoned for the next time I see you think, hmm, what's wrong with that person? Are they really telling me the truth? Have they really done that? You know, your mind goes crazy. You've got to be careful with rumors and gossip. It kills a church. It will destroy a fellowship. I see that happening here. They believed what was being said about Paul. They believed it. They said he's off base on this teaching of grace. They slandered him. They spread misinformation and lies. This misinformation, which whether it was intentional or not, destroys things. And I believe this led to Paul's rejection. This led to Paul's total rejection because they were slandering him. They were slandering him. Paul said that they had the freedom to do and observe the days that they wanted. They had the freedom to diet or not to diet. They had the freedom in Christ to do these things. Paul's writings, we know that. But it's amazing that they continued to accuse him. I mean, we even read where he circumcised Timothy. He even took a vow in, in Acts 18, 18. He did those type of things. These things destroy fellowships, and they poison their minds towards the people of the Lord. And the Lord is ultimately the one who suffers and hurts when these things happen. The next sign I see of a weakened church is compromise. Look at verses 22 and 24. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them. Pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which we were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. This is a compromised state of the church. Let's not offend anyone. Let's not stand up for what we believe in. Let's not take a stand for righteousness. You know, do you know what a compromise is? A compromise is, is when we concede to each other. I concede my beliefs to you. That's a compromise. You see that all over the world. The world is compromising on everything from homosexual marriage to abortion. The world is being compromised. 
Our faith is crumbling from within because we won't take the chance to stand up for righteousness. Right is right and wrong ain't. We need to stand up for what we believe in and not compromise on our faith. Compromise kills the church because you lose its effectiveness. It's the gospel that's the power of God to salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God to salvation. Not what I think or what you think. It's what God says in his word. That's the power of God. And that's what we need to be standing up for. Oh, there's too many people here. It's going to look bad. Surely there's going to be an uproar. Well, when you stand up for righteousness, Paul knew that. Look what happened in Ephesus when he stood up for righteousness. Look what happened all along and every time he was in ministry. When you stand up for righteousness, people get offended. Well, good. Maybe that'll bring them close to God. Let me read you this quote. If the church becomes an echo of the world, the mission of the world is accomplished. We cannot look like the world. The church cannot look like the world. We're supposed to be different, folks. The church cannot look like the world. We can't go out and get things in. Oh, well, look, it works great. Let's have this this drive or that drive or, or do this or do that. Let's have all these worldly programs. No. The church is supposed to look like this. The apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship and prayers, following God's word, that's what the church of Jesus Christ is all about. There'll be an uproar. There were so many Jews who believed, and they kept on continuing with the Judaic law. They continued as Jews, but they believed. The church in Jerusalem is definitely in a weakened state here. And whenever a church seems to adapt itself, or seeks to adapt itself to the society, the church will be weakened. It will be weakened. One of the greatest curses the church is to endeavor itself to adapt to the world. 2 Corinthians 6, 17, 11, it says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Come out from among them. I've called you to a separate life. I've called you to a holiness. Be separate. Come out from among them. The Lord calls us to a separation, a real commitment. God calls his people to separation. You're different from the world. You cannot have communion with the world and communion for Christ. There's no common ground in the meeting. They're too diverse. One has to concede to the other, and I can guarantee it won't be the world. You'll be the one conceding, not the world. Be different. You're a new creation. Love the world, but neither the things of the world or in the world. For he that had loved the world in his heart does not have the love of the Father. John makes it quite clear in 1 John 2, 15. The cry of the Spirit, be reconciled with God. It's the ministry of reconciliation. And you can only be reconciled with God as you come into the life of the Spirit, deny the flesh, deny yourself, the self-centered life, put it all behind and follow Christ. Oh, there's so few left. There's so few who follow Christ. There's so few. Yeah, the weakened state is terrible. Church of Jerusalem was weakened by legalism. It was weakened by gossip and rumors. It was weakened by compromise. And finally, I see it weakened by prejudice. Verse 25 says, But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we've written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. This was the Jerusalem Council's resolve. Remember the letter that they passed around? This was the Jerusalem Council's resolve. But guess what? They never really accepted the Gentiles. 
They never really accepted the Gentiles in there. Tradition of the church says they were suspicious of Peter and Cornelius. They were suspicious of that whole thing. Remember when we studied that? They didn't believe his testimony. They didn't believe what was happening in Samaria. You remember when Jesus walked the face of the earth and had the, the meeting with the Samaritan woman? They didn't get along. The Jews put their nose down at the Samaritans. So when a big revival started in Samaria, they're like, ew, Samaritans. Do we carry a prejudice with us? Do we carry a prejudice? By us? It's almost like we say, well, they could be saved, but not them. That's prejudice. That's a prejudice feeling. And I got news for your brothers and sisters. I'm just as guilty as you sometimes. It's our nature. It's our old nature. It's that flesh rising up in us. We don't want to hang out with somebody because we've known them so long. We don't want to hang up with somebody because they're a different color, a different race. They're a different socioeconomic standing. They're, they look dirty, whatever. We don't want to hang out with them. We're withholding God's love from them. That's not what I read in the Scriptures at all. And I'm just as guilty as you are. Ah. Oh. The Jerusalem church sent this letter out, but they sent it out reluctantly. They sent it out reluctantly. But on the other hand, they were quick to receive anyone who wanted to follow the Judaic law. They were quick to receive them to come in. They wanted Paul to show that he was one of them, that he was an elitist. You know, so many churches that become these little elite groups. Oh, we're so esoteric. We have something that I don't know if we'll share with you. We're so elite. That's the church of Jesus Christ. Whomsoever will may come. No, we're elitists. He said, pay for the expenses of these guys. Go with them and be purified and pay for the animal sacrifices for each man. And when you do this, everybody will like you, Paul. Many, many view this as a major compromise on Paul's part. Many, many people, they have Paul majorly compromised here. They made concessions. We'll study that more. Hughes writes this. The elders wanted to exchange of favors. We've accepted the gift from the Gentile churches abroad, actually identifying ourselves with the Gentile mission. Now, if you will join these men and identify yourself openly with our nation, everybody go along, fine. Can't we all just get along? This is political politicking. It's religious. You scratch my back, I'll kind of scratch yours. What's happening here? You know, the rise of legalism, the slanderous gossips and circulating rumors about Paul the church wanting to compromise its mission with the Gentiles and the prejudices that came along after Peter's vision about the Gentiles, this, as I said, led to the Apostle Paul's rejection at Jerusalem. And I believe it helped bring down the Jerusalem church. It helped to have it collapse from within. Paul had a major decision. What would you do? What would you do? And that's what we have to decide. I mean, that's what the bottom line here is. I mean, Paul did what he did thousands of years ago. What are you going to do? What will you do? Maybe faced with these exact same things. Maybe faced with a legalistic brother or sister who wants to put you under the law. How are you going to handle that? Maybe faced with someone who wants to tell you rumors and tales and, and gossip with you. What are you going to do with that? Maybe at workplace you have to do something that's compromising your faith. How are you going to handle that? Or maybe you're faced with a prejudice someplace. What are you going to do? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. What are we going to do? Are we going to stand up for righteousness? 
Or are we just going to collapse and say, you know what? We really don't believe what we say we believe. See, that's the question I've been asking for a long time. I've been asking this question for a long time, and I ask it of myself, please. You have to know that everything I'm saying to you, I'm saying to myself first. Remember, I wrote this. I'm saying this to myself first. When I say I'm a Christian, do people believe that I really believe what I say? Ask that of yourselves. When you tell people you're a Christian, do they believe that you believe it? That's important. It's extremely important. We're presenting this picture of Christianity to the world, to the people outside in the neighborhood. Do people believe that you believe it? Or do they think you're practicing religion? Well, I'm going to do it until I get it right. That's the question. You know, when I read the epistles of Paul, I see a balanced message that includes doctrines and duties. I see a message that includes privileges and responsibilities. I see a balanced message. All this belongs to our Christian life. Paul never preached compromise. He never went to extremes. He kept things in balance. And he also preached to everyone, Jews and Gentiles alike. He never slighted anyone with the gospel message. He had no prejudices. He had no bias. This is the type of person God wants today. This is the type of church God wants to use today. To stand up and be counted in this world that's falling apart around us, folks. That's just crumbling at our feet. This is the type of church I want to be a part of. I want a type of church that knows the gospel, that shares the gospel. I want a type of church that people go, that church there, they preach the gospel. They know Jesus Christ. The true Christ. A church based on the grace of God, not the law. A balanced message, not compromise. A church where everyone is welcome, whomsoever will come in. We welcome you into our fellowship. You put all these together, and they'll know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. That's the church that we need to be. And that's not a weakened church. That's a strong church, a lively church, a healthy church. That's the church I want to be. I think that's the church you want to be too. I think that's in your hearts. I think you're thinking that right. Yeah, I want to be part of that. Maybe you're tired of playing religion. Maybe you're tired of playing this game that we call church. Maybe you've had it with all this. Maybe you want a true, real experience with God. That's what I want. I'm tired of playing. I want the truth. And the truth shall set you free. That's what I want. Won't you want with me? Won't you be with me? That type of church. Church dedicated to the love of Jesus Christ and sharing that love with anybody. A church that would stand up for righteousness and say, no, that is wrong. Church that would let anybody come in and be among us. That's the church I think Jesus wants us to have. You are a You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition! 
Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.